I'm Steph. And I'm Jeff. Each week, we review a film that's streaming online. As writers, we'll deep dive into the characters and plot to tell you if it's a good story. Listen at your own risk. This review contains spoilers. Now sit back. Relax. And and enjoy enjoy Stream On. Today, we'll be reviewing Fight Club, streaming on Amazon Prime. I am Jack's end-of-the-century nihilistic fantasy movie. I'm full of the kind of slogans Nietzsche would write if he worked for Hallmark. I do a pretty good job of predicting what Jack will have to deal with in 20 years. Fight Club was directed by David Venture and written by Jim Yules. It's based on the 1996 novel Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. The film stars Edward Norton as our protagonist, the narrator. He doesn't have a name, just the narrator. The co-founder of Fight Club and an insomniac in existential angst. Brad Pitt as Tyler Durden, the eccentric leader of Fight Club. Helena Bonham Carter as Marla Singer, a support group junkie. Jared Leto as Angel Face, a young Fight Club recruit. And Meatloaf as Bob, another Fight Club recruit that has testicular cancer. So Jeff, you chose this film. Why did you decide to choose Fight Club? There are a few reasons I like Fight Club. First, I like the look of the movie. I like David Fincher films. I like his darker sensibilities, uh, both um, visually and thematically. I like the acting. I think the cast does a really good job. All the act, I mean, every performance is really good in this film. Um, from the leads, like um, Edward Norton, down to even Meatloaf. You know, even the supporting cast is a nice job. I find the story goes to a very logical conclusion. It sets up a very dark, kind of nihilistic world that our protagonist, the narrator, is going through. And at no point does it back away from that and give you a happy ending. The The ending is satisfying, and there are elements of it that could lead to a better future for him. But it definitely kind of keeps a very dark bleak tone finally i find it's an interesting puzzle in the sense of once you've seen it you recognize that this is a film that really goes deeply into the unreliable narrator Mm -hmm. and it rewards rewatching as you're trying to pick out okay what are the kind of obvious moments when you can realize that um, brad pitt's character tyler durden isn't real so Spoiler that, alert. <laughs> oh, yeah. Tyler Durden's not real. It's a figment of Edward Norton's character's imagination. There you go. But there are some other other less obvious things, if you will, that show how the film reflects the narrator's growing realization that Durden is just a projection of his own frustrations and his own end of the millennium angst. So... Any film that rewards you on multiple levels, I think, is worth watching, worth checking out. And I believe that Fight Club does that. And it's dark. You just like dark. Well, I do just like dark. That's true. Okay, well, let's jump into our plot analysis. So as a writer, what would you like to point out about this film that's noteworthy? 
Well, uh, thematically, there's nothing really particularly spectacular about in the sense of it looks at this kind of search for meaning in a modern world. And it does a nice job of it, but I don't think it breaks a lot of new ground in that. We have this concept of mostly men, well, actually all men, there are no female members of Fight Club, who find that their lives are unsatisfying, that they're in jobs that even if they are superficially successful are not satisfying. They are left pursuing pointless materialism. The film opens with some, I find, hilarious moments in the narrator's apartment as we're seeing what he owns, and then you see the this kind of pseudo-Ikea. Um, it's a great scene. Yeah, this like pseudo-Ikea catalog descriptions popping up next to them. It's, it's really funny, but it also really gets to that kind of, you know, these guys have been told this is what it means to be successful. And if you do this, your life is fulfilled. And you have this whole cohort of men who are like, that's not true. That's not fulfilling. That's the classic. If you check all these boxes, decent paying job, nice setup to your house, apartment, whatever, uh, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. Like if you check all these boxes, you should have a good life. But yet there's an emptiness to the narrator who is trying to check the boxes and it's just not satisfying. It's a it's a classic existential angst of just a lack of deeper meaning and and that materialism can't really provide. Right. And like I said, so far on those on that level, it does a good job of telling that story, but there's nothing really I don't know, like I said, there's nothing groundbreaking about it. I think we're really is more interesting though is first how it looks. It has a very distinct visual style. Like a 90s grungy style with the Dust Brothers music. The music, the Dust Brothers music and then the 90s grunge style worked well in this film. Yes. Fincher has a really good visual sense. All of his movies look interesting they look like there is thought behind every scene every image that you see has a point to it Mm -hmm. so on that level and i realize that's not exactly plot but it is a film so in part it is visual storytelling so how your movie looks and how you use the visuals to tell that story that is part of your plot well yeah like the crumbling like house that they were living in that was the fight club headquarters you know like that like was the, the paper what was it the paper street soap company house yes That's what it becomes yes that was visually really interesting it was like this yeah run down dilapidated house but it, it worked as this the secret headquarters of fight club well if you think of it as a metaphor for society society is rotten society is falling apart and you have these guys move in there and repurpose it they repurpose the the cast-offs they repurpose the parts of society that have been abandoned Mm -hmm. and turn into something for themselves initially they turn into something where they can take uh, i believe it is the fat from a liposuction clinic (laughs) and turn it into soap that they then go and sell to high-end boutiques but then it also becomes the headquarters of the resistance of Project Mayhem. Mm -hmm. One fascinating thing about that, though, is that in keeping with this kind of nihilistic tone in the search for meaning, Project Mayhem itself, which 
becomes the important, um, I guess, the focal point of all the characters' activities, like in the second half of the movie, doesn't have an actual aim to it other than to blow up break. credit card buildings, right? To break the finance industry. That's what it eventually becomes. But you get the idea is that it's mostly just to destroy. It, it's, it's anarchy to, without yeah. they, there's enough existential angst that because there is no meaning it's like well we might as well just create anarchy and maybe we'll somehow find meaning in that and then at some point they come up with this idea to like blow up the credit card companies right yeah so in that sense as i said so you have the visuals you have the sets you have the setting actually as a chunk of the plot telling you what this movie's about one thing I do really like about this, though, is the unreliable narrator. That is a interesting device to use when you're telling a story. And it can be done in a very obvious way. Um, one of the films that we reviewed earlier this year, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, has elements of an unreliable narrator because we know that the point of view character in that movie has potentially mental problems because when you meet him, he has he's basically being seen by a psychiatrist and ranting about how his hometown has been overrun by aliens, but it helps to kind of inform what we're seeing in the rest of the movie and what's real and what isn't, mm -hmm. or at least calls into question what's real and what isn't. So that's more obvious. This is a little more subtle. The first watch through, it appears that the narrator and Tyler Durden are separate entities. Mm -hmm. And it's only as you're watching, it, you're realizing that there are some things that don't quite make sense and don't match up. And then you start to see some of the visual cues, like little moments of Tyler Durden blinking into existence for just a fraction of a second. Mm -hmm. Or just how the Marla is interacting, like, right? How Marla's acting. Like, they set her up to be a little kooky. So some of that you can pass off. But over time, it's like she's, like, it's not making sense, some of the things that she is saying. Well, one of the things with Marla, and this is something I did not pick up the first time, is that as the movie progresses, she gets a little less weird. When she is first introduced, she seems like a, almost cartoonish. Mm -hmm. I guess she's supposed to be alluring to a certain subset of people who might find that kind of garbage chic to be like a look. Support group junkie. Like that maybe that, that's a thing. <laughs> but actually, by the time we get to the end of the film, they have softened her makeup. The way she interacts with the narrator is actually less over the top, less caricature, and more like a two people interacting. Mm -hmm. I think that was done on purpose to show that as the narrator is starting to realize that he's the problem, that his view of her is literally changing through the movie. She's becoming more... By the end of the movie, she is actually more like what she probably was all along. Right, but it was just, he distorted and created the caricature of the woman he likes up front or doesn't like to whatever. Um, yeah, that's interesting. It's when you're following a film of an unreliable narrator, it's it's an interesting way to tell a story as you're trying to figure out what is consistent about the world and what isn't. One of the problems though with this movie that is related to that though is that at the end of the film we definitely know that Tyler Durden does not exist. Right. We then are treated to a series of flashbacks where we see what was really happening. So like there's this scene fairly early in the film where we think Tyler and the narrator are in the parking lot of a bar and having a fist fight and a mm -hmm. bunch of guys gather around and watch and go, Hey, we want to get in on this. 
Origins Fight Club, right? Mm-hmm. What we see was actually just the narrator punching himself. Hitting himself, right. It makes some sense if you have a bunch of disaffected guys who are probably, you know, a bunch of pent-up testosterone and shit, and they're all drinking, and they see two guys fighting, and the guys are like, apparently it's not like a serious, like, I hate you brawl, but more like just kind of fun. You can kind of say, well, some of them might want to get involved. How many people are going to go into a parking lot and see some dude wrestling himself and say, I would like to do that as well? Well, and that was one the biggest plot hole I found. This brings me to my All plot right. hole is that it's – there's way too many – for as disturbed as the narrator's character is, there are way too many people that have been involved in Fight Club. It goes from being this like – you know, one trick pony and this like abandoned soap house with just a few guys to this multiple cities where cops and government officials and business owners are all a part of Fight Club and that they're all organized to do this massive attack on the finance industry in our country. And it's so unbelievable that you would have this one guy that's not mentally all there, that's clearly like beating himself up in a parking lot and then, you know, like just not that well organized, that that many people, including like government officials, business owners, people that, you know, like it, it just is so unrealistic that it would be this organized across the country and this many people would buy into this underground fight club movement. People leaving their families, their jobs, their lives to pledge to be part of Fight Club. Um, And then plus they were recovering from their injuries way too fast for the amount of fighting that was being done. And and it was that plot hole didn't, like, how do you address that? Is it just because it's in this guy's mind and these people, but obviously they had to be engaged enough to blow up the buildings, like they had needed access and all that. So yeah, that was something that didn't quite work for me. Well, in the context of the world that's set up, it is possible that at least some of those interactions are just fantasy mm-hmm. because clearly the narrator is having delusions. Yeah. So some of the things that he must be, some of the people he's interacting with may not even exist. We don't know that. And the way it's portrayed is that they do. Mm-hmm. But we're also, that's how his interactions with Tyler are portrayed. Like Tyler's real. Right, so, so it's hard to know what's real and what's not. The other thing I'd say, though, if we had been having this review, say, in 2015, I would have said, yeah, that's a pretty big pothole. But we've lived through the years of QAnon and Stop the Steal. <laughs> we, we've lived through January 6th now where it's like, wow, your real estate agent could end up storming the Capitol on a coup. Like, it, it is, I mean, you're right. <laughs> so the number of people who are willing to attach themselves to insanity and do things that even a few years ago, I would have thought would be impossible for them based on their careers, their position in, in the world, or just their demeanor has radically changed. So I actually don't find that part to be that unbelievable. I think, like I said, the big thing is that first hurdle. Once you get to the point where Project Mayhem has started and you have all those acolytes going out and there actually is a fight club where these guys get together and let out their rage, much like groups like, you know, the Proud Boy, the the Oath Keeper, some of these far-right militant groups, if you hear interviews with the actual people, some of them are just in it to fight. 
They don't care about the ideology. They don't care about West, Western chauvinism or white nationalism. They just, like, they've got anger and they want to take it out on somebody. Right. So that part, I think, is believable. I think this idea of a movement metastasizing from a small thing that started from one person who's kind of delusional and then taking on a life of its own, I also think that that is pretty realistic or at least plausible. Let's put it that way. But for me, it's like those opening scenes where I'm like, why would anybody see this guy punching himself and think this is what I want to do. Yeah, it's like, how did it get so big so quickly? Because the movie implies it gets pretty big fairly quickly. Yes. At least that's the sense of time. But maybe that is trying to say something about the fragility of humans in America and their quest for meaning uh, and cognitive dissonance around materialism and all that is, it's it's real enough that they, they may go to something like this quickly because of just desiring meaning and purpose and a way to get out their emotions. Well, not Americans. Men. Well, men. Well, no, I think that's important, too, is because one of the themes, and this is something in this movie that I can see people taking uh, some exception to, is that there is really only one woman in this entire film. Right, Marla. Any other woman in this movie is purely background. There are no women who are parts of Project Mayhem, and most of the people in Project Mayhem are guys in their 20s and 30s. I mean, they're all men, but it's like in their 20s and 30s seems to be the big chunk of the demographic because I think the point they're making is that society has failed this particular cohort Hmm. it told them what they need to do and what their dads did and what their grandfathers did and you need to do the same thing but they're finding out that doesn't actually work the disenfranchised white men most of the men are white but there are are a few men of color in the background but no one really prominently featured but yeah mostly disenfranchised white men i believe the only obviously non white male who has any role is one of the police officers at the end who was it threatens to emasculate the narrator oh right yeah but other than that no it's all a bunch of white guys mm-hmm. i mean like i said like you said there are some other guys in the background stuff like that but it's basically a bunch of 20 to 30 year old white men who are just pissed at society kind of prescient huh that's what i'm saying given that, that this film was made in uh 99 yeah yeah so no i, th- I think that is a thing and not to get either too too political. It's easy with this movie, I think, to get to read a lot of politics into this. And I think in part, it actually looks at bigger issues than just politics of the moment. I mean, it does look this idea, if you're part of some cohort that has been told you have X role in society, but that role is changing, how do you change with it? A lot, and can you change with it? And if you can't, do you get into extremism, into nihilism or whatever other extremist ideology is out there? Yeah, like what happens when the meaning you were sold, the idea, the dream, the American male dream, that if you do these things, your life will be great and you'll feel fulfilled. What happens when that crumbles and that's actually not true? Um, How do you reinvent yourself and insert meaning? Uh, And it's not always in a positive way. Yeah. Right, and and just... So we are recording this on November 20th, almost lost that there, on November 20th, it's good to know what the day is, 2021. Just recently, when a, a senator, Josh Hawley, was making the rounds talking about how American culture is failing American men because they're being, you know, they're, they're, they're meant to go get jobs and women and things like that and they can't do it and now they're all depressed and watching porn and playing video games. We need to rescue the American male. And it's like... Fight Club's the answer. Well, that's just it. It's like you listen to it like, are you just trying to start up your own chapter of Fight Club, buddy? <laughs> but yeah. I th- but this movie does... And this is why I think this film is actually 
even better than just being an, a kind of a neat, not really experimental, sort of experimental narratively and, film. And some satire in it about society. But it's one of those things that, like a really good story that's trying to comment on something. And this movie is making social comment here. Yeah. Like a really good story that does social commentary, it's broad enough that you can use it to look at different moments in time, different moments in your culture and say, is it still applicable? Are these comments applicable? And why do people do this? A disaffected cohort society turned to extremism is not unique to today or the late the 90s or the 1930s when it was a bunch of Germans putting on brown shirts and mm-hmm. starting a fascist dictatorship. That was mostly a bunch of young disaffected guys who couldn't get jobs and stuff and felt like life was passing them by. And here's some extreme ideology that puts you at the center of everything and says you're going to get back at everybody else. And yeah. I think that's what a lot of this is. And that's why in this film, the whole idea behind Project Mayhem, I said one of the issues is that it doesn't really have an ideology, but that is the ideology. It's not supposed to have one. It's supposed to wreck everything because these guys feel everything has failed them. They found initial meaning by wrecking each other and themselves through Fight Club. And then they finally, I think the idea is you're supposed to see that if that's where you start by trying to destroy yourself or the other people in your marginalized or oppressed group, from your point of view, of course, mm-hmm. eventually what happens is you find common cause and turn outwards. Right. You need to stop that. The idea of hurt people hurt people. Instead of taking the time to do the work to heal your fragile ego and those inner child wounds or whatever you got going on or find a deeper meaning in your life that's positive, uh, you you don't do that work and instead hurt yourself and then hurt others. And yeah, it is cliche, hurt people, hurt people, but it's very true. And this film shows that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it does so very effectively. So did you have any particular plot things? I, I know that we, we both see the, some of the issues with some of the plot holes you do have to accept the world that's been set up that mm-hmm. and, and you have to accept that you may not know exactly what is happening is real the things you're seeing may not all be real did you find any of those moments were so hard to believe that they took you out of the story or just go well how is there somebody like in a city halfway across the country who knows this? yeah i mean i i scratched my head a little but Within, I knew it was an unreliable narrator um, because I had seen this film before. I had actually read the book too. So I, you know, I in the context of the world that was being built and some of the social commentary that was being made about this, I was able to work with it, even with the plot holes. The thing that I would say I didn't love about this film is that it was long. It's It's two hours and 31 minutes and it felt long. It has really good bookends, but the middle got boring to me uh, and felt repetitive. So I love the opening of the movie. Um, that it was it was brilliant and satisfying. Uh, I love the end with the the credit card, you know, finance buildings crashing down, and just the way visually they did that was a perfect ending for this type of anarchy dark film. Uh, but it just really dragged too long in the middle. Like the fight scenes got repetitive. I found myself wanting to like fast forward through some of them because I'm like, oh, just another fight scene. Um, And so I think this film would have been better served with a tighter middle and maybe shaving about a half an hour off of the film. What are your thoughts? Well, I I didn't find it too long. Okay. Would you have 
perhaps like the film better if they cut like like one of the subplots out. The one I was thinking of was actually the whole idea with the soap company. Mm-hmm. Remove that and just go, he starts Fight Club, we get the Fight Club scenes, and that turns into Project Mayhem, and then kind of get past a bunch of the soap company stuff, because that, well, that leads to some fun lines and some interesting little bits. Once you're past that, the movie really gets into the disaffection of these guys and how they turn to a terrorist organization, basically. Yeah, I think you could have gotten rid of the whole soap company thing, agreed. And I think you could have condensed a few of the fight scenes down. Uh, I mean, maybe it's just I don't particularly love long, drawn-out fight scenes, and I don't like gratuitous violence, and some of it just felt repetitive and over the top but maybe that's the point they were trying to make about it too so yeah nix the soap thing and condense the fight scenes a bit you still could have gotten your message across and that would have shaved off about a half an hour from this film i think so anything else you want to say about this actually not i will say i really enjoy this movie i i don't find that this is one of those films that i don't think really has any particular flaws to it I mentioned some of the things that you kind of have to suspend disbelief for to make the film work, but I don't find that suspending that disbelief hurts the film for me. The rest of the film earns it enough because of the strength of the acting, the dialogue, and just how the film looks. I understand your point about the two hour and 30 minute runtime being a bit much for the story being told. I've seen this movie probably 15 times. And I find it always moves quickly. It, hmm, for me, it's well paced. Okay. The the ending, I think, is perfect. It's this wanton act of destruction, which is going to have massive repercussions that none of these guys have thought through. It's completely pointless, and it's amazing. It's it's a beautiful nihilistic end to the film. It is. It's a great. Like I said, the bookends on this film are really solid. It's just the middle that's a little eh for me. Okay. Well, let's wrap this up. What is a scene you like the best? You know that is not easy. Uh, this film is so visually interesting. Probably some of the early interactions, though, between the narrator and Tyler, where the after the narrator moves in, because Norton and Pitt really play well off each other. The, the interaction between them is well, it's it's hilarious, but it's also an interesting look at how these two guys are bonding. And when, re- when you really realize it's they're not bonding, what's happening is that it's the two parts of his personality continue to diverge Mm -hmm. which actually makes it more interesting at the end because it's portrayed like again this normal kind of like a a burgeoning uh, uh, friendship Mm -hmm. there in the movie you realize no what's happening is he's going increasingly nuts Mm -hmm. as this other personality is taking even more and more life on a life of its own the end of the first act early part of the second act is just a really nice block of this film how about you did you have a favorite scene yeah, I liked this is in the opening act. Uh, it's the dividing up of the support groups. So there's this fun back and forth between Ed Norton and Helena Bonham Carter's character, the narrator and Marla Singer, um, where you know they figure each other out that they're attending these groups as tourists, basically, that neither of them have the issues in these support groups, but they both are getting something out of out of going and getting attention from the support groups, um, whether it be testicular cancer or breast cancer or whatever it is. Um, And so they are like, like 
just playing well off of each other. They have good chemistry and tension and they're like, I take this one, you take that one, which days? And they're walking together and he follows her to the laundromat. And it's it's just a really fun scene um, where, you know, they're, they're trying to like figure out how to work together so they can both keep their addiction of going to support groups um, alive. What about your least favorite scene? I think that the montage at the end where we see some of the sequences we've talked about where on the first run through we see Tyler and the narrator fighting and other guys are watching and things like that actually seeing what's going on where it's just the narrator fighting himself rolling around on the ground doing things like that and guys going this is what I want to do with my life actually I think undercuts that a bit now I understand it's in service of trying to show Tyler's not real I think it could have done that without having the silly sequence of Ed Norton wrestling himself in a parking lot and a bunch of guys standing around watching going, I would like to wrestle like myself too, or you or whatever. (laughs) It's not a killer for this movie, obviously, because I really like the film, but leaving that out and just, by that time, it's already pretty clear Tyler's not real. I don't think we needed to actually see all that to understand Tyler's not a real person. Yeah, we didn't need to see like where he was beating himself up at his boss, like that whole thing at work. Well, no, I would have left that in. Okay. And I'll tell you why, because that scene actually hints at what was going on. But Tyler's not supposed to be there. At that point, it's not that he's having a delusion. So I think it's probably near the end of the first acts. Um, the narrator decides he does no, he no longer wants to go to his job. And he figures out a way to get like a severance package and some computer equipment and things like that is to go in to his boss who he doesn't like and basically make a look at the boss beats him up. Mm-hmm. And we see it where he's punching himself and throwing himself in the wall and stuff like that. While it looks a little odd when you first see it, it actually helps reinforce the theme that, oh, he's capable of doing this to himself. So we understand that he's actually harming himself when he thinks it's Tyler. Okay. You could have left that in, but then not show the scenes where he's literally beating himself up and guys are like, that looks like fun. Right. And leave the goofiness out of that and the part where you're like, would any human really do that? Even these poor lost souls. But you also set it up that, hey, this is what this guy's been doing. Yeah, well, I don't know. I mean, you bring up a point like humans will (laughs) believe QAnon and go to Dallas looking for long lost JFK or whatever. So, I mean, you just don't know how nutso people can be. Uh, So mine is there's this um, fight scene in a tavern. It's like, one, it's a boring scene of just people beating each other up. It just also felt out of place. It didn't really add a ton of value to the story. And, you know, it led, like, the subsequent scene is Tyler giving a homework assignment. I want you to start a fight. You know you're going to lose. While that's interesting, and there's that montage sequence that follows, which I liked, but I don't think you needed the Lou Tavern fight scene to get there. You could have just gotten straight to that assignment. Okay, so how many nihilistic fighting pandas do you want to give this one? Nice. So I'm going to go with four and a half. I really like this movie. I think from everything I said, it's just a masterpiece for this kind of film. And really, I don't need to repeat myself. So how about you? How many pandas from zero to five are you going to give this thing? I gave it a 
three. I mean, it's it's a good film, but I it lost points because it did feel too long for me at two hours and 31 minutes. And I did think there was too many fight scenes that were not necessary to tell this story. Uh, and I also, there were some subplots that, or not subplots, there were some plot holes that didn't 100% work for me, but, you know, I could go past them. It, it's just, like I said earlier, two strong bookends, a little bit of a boring middle. I did love the milieu of the film. I liked the grungy 90s filter. I love the Dust Brothers music. That was a great fit. Stylistically, it's well shot. Uh, and this film is definitely worth a watch. So Jeff, what do we have coming up next time? So next week, we're going to be checking out The Imitation Game, currently on Amazon. Stream On is a production of Steph and Jeff Wright's Media. Reproduction without written consent is prohibited. All rights reserved, 2021.